James chapter 2. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister... Turn this on. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone may say, or someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It, it would be impossible really to, uh, to overstate uh, the importance of the doctrine um, that James addresses in these verses. In other words, if a person gets this doctrine wrong, it means the difference between heaven and hell. There are other doctrines that we can disagree over and yet not be in jeopardy of forfeiting our eternal salvation. This is not one of those. <laughs> this doctrine is the proverbial fork in the road. Redemptively, anyway, certainly. So we'd better be very clear. We, we have to be very clear in our understanding of this doctrine and in our ex, 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 uh, explanation of it. In other words, we need to be very clear in our own hearts and minds what it is, and we need to be very clear when we explain it. And it, it has become obvious to me, sadly obvious to me, that every generation, it seems, needs to once again defend this doctrine. And ours is no exception. I don't know how many of you are, uh, are familiar with John Piper. But sadly, John Piper is, um, at best, creating a great deal of confusion over this doctrine, if not outright, can I say it, heresy over this doctrine. I don't know what's going on with him. So even those who, at one point, I would have said, oh, read his stuff, I can't do that anymore. And again, every generation, it seems, needs to once again read, to, to, to re, um, redefend, I guess, this important doctrine. What is this doctrine? The doctrine is justification. 
Um, what does it mean? Well, what, is, what does justification mean? It means to be declared righteous. It is an imputation. Uh, we, in, Romans, in, in Romans 4, and, and, and it, 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 is, it is God uh, imputing Christ's righteousness to us. It is like him taking out of his infinite um, storehouse of righteousness, perfect righteousness, and applying it to us. And that, that justification is applied when we believe, when we have faith alone. And, and, and let, me, let me have a brief discursus here. We are not saved by faith. We are saved by faith alone. We, we, we have to get that clear. We are not saved by faith. Roman Catholic doctrine, dogma, says we're saved by faith. But they say we're saved by faith but not faith alone. In other words, faith is necessary, but it's not sufficient. We affirm that the Bible clearly teaches that faith alone is sufficient for our justification. Well, James addresses a particular argument, and really, this is a passage that probably many of us are familiar with. It is a passage that many point to to say that James and Paul disagree over this doctrine of justification, um, but hopefully by the end of by the end of the sermon we'll see that there is no uh, contra- or, or, or problem or contradiction. Um, in fact, they they are in total and complete agreement. The, the key to this whole section is verse fourteen. If if you get if you understand what fourteen is saying, then everything else will fall into place. Verse fourteen, he says, "What good is it if someone says he has faith?" but does not have works, can that faith save him? That's the question that he answers, that he deals with in verses 15 through 26. If you were to put in your own words what verse 14 is saying, what is it? Anybody? I I know you could probably just read the verse and say, yeah, he said it pretty good. How would you put that in? How would you put verse 14 in your own words? What kind of faith really saves? Can that faith, is a, a faith that is in profession only, can that, that faith really save? Does that kind of faith really save? So he's going to be answering that question. What kind of faith saves? And, and this, I think, because, and, and, and it's interesting, one of the reasons why I chose true faith as kind of the theme of James is this is found right in the middle of, of the book, of the letter. And it seems like everything points to James 2, 14 through 26, and then everything flows out of it. This is the heart and core, I think, of James's letter. What kind of faith really saves? Can that faith, the faith that does not have works, can that faith save? That's really the question that he's answering. What kind of faith is true saving faith? Um, now, as frequently biblical authors do, is they begin by uh, approaching the negative standpoint. What is not? What, what true faith is not? And he begins in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, 
without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Um, the comparison here is, is really obvious and it's striking, isn't it? What a great illustration of, of, uh, of dead, useless faith. The sense is, is that faith in itself without acts that correspond to it, let me be careful how you phrase this, Faith itself, without the acts that correspond to it and, and to which it prompts. James says it's a cold, heartless, useless faith. It is just as useless as saying to someone who is hungry and cold, be fed and warm, without doing what? Without feeding them and without giving them a coat. Again, the the, the comparison is obvious. To say to one who is without the necessities of life, depart in peace, may you be warmed and filled, is just as effective as saying, I have faith with no works. The key is by itself. Look at me in verse 17. This key phrase. Verse 17. So faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Let, let me give you my example. And I will, I will, I'm going to strike this from the record if I ever post this sermon, because I'm going to use my brother as an example. And he doesn't listen to sermons, but in any event. Um, my brother does not know the Lord. And... Uh, Whenever, uh, when my niece, my niece recently had neck surgery, and so uh, my two sisters know the Lord, and uh, I know the Lord, and so we, we, were, we were praying, you know, we were sending emails, we're praying for you, praying for you, and, and my brother said this, he said, I'm thinking good thoughts towards you. What does that mean? That's useless. What, what do you, <laughs> there's no content to that. I, I'm thinking good thoughts toward that but, that, but, but that's all he has, you see. I think that's the sense of it by itself. Just saying, you know, just saying, well, I'm thinking good thoughts. It's useless. It's empty. Paul calls it, or James calls it, dead. Not that it ever had life, but it never did have life. It was just, it's useless. You see, faith is designed to lead to good works. And the key phrase there is lead to, result in. Anybody know Ephesians 2.10? We know, all of us know Ephesians 2.8.9. What's 2.10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 8 and 9 says we're, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. I'm, I'm, glad, 10 didn't, I'm glad 10 didn't come before 8 and 9. Because it wouldn't be 10, it would be 7. No, but you, the, the, we're not saved by works. However, true saving faith is not some cold abstraction. It is a living and animating reality in our lives. So the first characteristic, uh, James, I keep saying Paul, the first characteristic of, of a 
of a dead, useless faith is mere verbal profession. Now, here's, here's where it gets a little sticky. Does the Bible teach that we need to profess faith in Christ? Yes. Yeah. Romans 10, 9 and 10. We are, we, are, we are to profess our faith in Christ. So we're not saying that true saving faith is not a verbal, there's no verbal profession. True saving faith has a verbal profession. The key is it's not merely verbal profession. The first characteristic of dead useless faith is a mere verbal profession. The second is in beginning in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Now, here's, if you, how many of you have New American Standard? Okay. Here's what I think. I, the, I think the, I'm so, I know they'll be glad to hear this. I think they got this right in terms of the quotation marks. In Greek, um, there's no way to, there's no way in Greek to do quotation marks. There is a way in which they introduce direct speech. There's a grammatical little thing that, that, do so, that introduces when someone's going to have a direct speech. But you don't, oftentimes you don't know when that direct speech ends. A classic example is John chapter 3. There's all kinds, I mean, theologians are writing papers on how, how far is it that, that Jesus is speaking and, and then John starts speaking again. Because it's, it's hard to know sometimes. I think the, the ESV got this right, and they end the quotations in verse 18 after, I have works, end quote. So in other words, someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. He's quoting people who would say this, and the quotation ends there. And then he says, show me your faith. Now James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So here's the argument. You have faith, I have works. You know, um, faith is not always, this is their argument, I think. Faith is not always manifested in the same way, in the same form, in it, with, with every single person. It, faith ex- manifests itself differently. I have faith, you have works, but it, we're, all, we're all in the same family. We, we, we all have real faith here. That seems to be the argument. Uh, you, you, you're known for your works. I'm known for my faith. Much like, well, you're known for your gift of mercy. I have the gift of encouragement. It's just different. But it's still the same thing. But what's James' reply to that, to this argument? He says, verse 18b, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So James is saying to this question, how do you know you have faith? By just saying it? And he says you can't do it that way. There is no way, he says, to substantiate mere profession as true saving faith. There is because there is no objective confirmation. And, and this is what's so unique, I think, about, about well, I, one of the many things that's unique about the Christian faith is, it, is its objective confirmation. Um, remember Matthew 15, where Jesus is talking about 
false prophets. And what does he say? How do we? Do, how are we do? Well, let's turn there. Matthew. Uh, what is it? Matthew fifteen. No. Matthew 7, I think. Matthew, yes, Matthew 7. I'm sorry. Matthew 7, 15. That's where I got the 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous, ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits or their fruit. James is saying, listen, the Christian faith is, 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 is faith. But true saving faith has an objective confirmation. There's always objective confirmation. What, Dan? Verse 24. 724? Yeah. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like... What's that? Oh, I see. Yeah. And does them, acts upon them. Yeah. So, we're not saying that you don't believe (laughs) but james says that the best and most certain evidence of true faith is is the fruit of a changed life that there is fruit yeah who does the will now obviously he's he's well, we, we, we have disagreements over this verse, but yeah, I mean, whether he's talking specifically to about the false prophets in context or, or an average, it would apply to an average person too. Um, he says, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. You may think that you have the, the, the grandest faith in the world, but if there is no objective confirmation of that, James would say it's useless. It's dead. If there is no confirmatory evidence and there's profession only, then that is not true saving faith. James again says the most certain evidence of true faith is the fruit of a changed life. I mean, so is he saying, well, listen. As long as you go out and do good works, then, then you know you're saved. So that's kind of the other side of the argument. What's wrong with that argument? Well, all I have to do then is go out and do some good things, and then I'm saved. All I need to do is go feed the poor and give some money. I would hazard a guess that there are, there are many Mormons who live a probably, a, I don't know, better life, a more giving life than me, than I do, who feed the poor more than I feed them. And in other words, on the other hand, just doing works doesn't save us either. 
so, so I think that we need to be careful that, when, that James is not saying, okay, if you profess faith in Christ, you better be out there feeding the poor and helping old ladies walk across the street and you know, you know, babysit your neighbor's kids for free. All those are good things. But, but I think more than that, what James is talking about is, is there an internal work of grace that has changed your actions, your values, your worldview, your morality? Now, this is progressive, to be sure. And all of those things don't change automatically. But is there, is, is, is there some fruit? Is there some change? And, and is there a progressive growth in these changes? So don't get hung up on good works as going out and doing something. That, that, that would certainly be included. But more than that, guys, I think what he's talking about is, has there been an inward transformation that has revealed itself, objectively confirmed your faith through a changed life, through changed actions, through changed values? Your, your, the, the, your worldview has changed. Your, your, your notion of what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, all of these things are, are changed and are progressively changing over time. And then he throws in one more argument back in James chapter 2. Find my way back to James. Verse 19. So he says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, faith is validated by works. Okay. Number two, you believe that God is one. You do well. Now, what might someone have said that James responds this way? Oh, you, you believe that God is one? You do well. There are a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible and they're not saved. Even probably better example. Muslims. Three world religions that are monotheist. It's not enough just to say to be a monotheist. Three world religions that are the only three that are monotheistic. Obviously Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Only one saves. So what's James' argument? Say, say, I believe God is one. I have faith. I believe God is one. What what does James say? Even demons believe that. Are demons saved? Yeah, yeah. It, It is doctrinally correct. I mean, it's right doctrine. It's a right belief. But a right belief in and of itself does not save. I mean, he, James chooses a doctrine that if it were a mere profession, it certainly would seem to be able to save, but it doesn't. So the second characteristic of dead useless faith is mere intellectual assent. There are Greek scholars who... Who, who, who know the New Testament better than anyone else. And they know what the New Testament teaches. They can tell you what the New Testament teaches, but they don't believe a word of it. 
True saving faith is not mere verbal profession. It is not mere intellectual assent. Well, the question is, what is it? Well, James will present two exhibits to prove his case of verse 20. James chapter 2, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless, that faith apart from works does not save? Do you want proof? Let me, let me provide two exhibits to prove this. And the first one is, Abraham, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He, James appeals to Abraham. Now, turn, keep your marker here, and turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse 1, and this is Paul, obviously. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was, credit, it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the godly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So who does James put forward as an exhibit of saying that it's not faith in works? Abraham. Who does Paul put forward as an exhibit as one who is saved by faith alone? Abraham. They both point to Abraham to prove their point. So here's the difference, though. You look back at James chapter 2. What's, what specific event? Isaac, which is Genesis 22. So turn to Genesis 22. We know this story, but we'll just turn there. Genesis 22. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offerings and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Think of those words. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For I, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son from your, your only son from me. So James points to this to prove his case that it's not faith. That it's not faith alone. It's faith plus, or it's faith and works. Back to James chapter 2, or Romans chapter 2. What does Paul what does Paul appeal to? He appeals to Abraham, but Abraham what? 
when Abraham believed. He appeals to Abraham in Genesis 15. (laughs) Genesis 15. And what's Genesis 15? Genesis 15 is one of the two places, actually three places, where God establishes his covenant with Abraham, or with, with Abram at this point. And what does it say? When God gave him this promise of a seed and a land and a blessing, verse 6, and he believed the Lord and it, 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 he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, so here, here's, here's what's going on between James and Paul. James is saying, James is not talking about the faith, how you get saved. That's Genesis 15. He's talking about how do you know that the faith that you profess is true faith? That's Genesis 22. Abraham was already saved in verse 15. But his faith was confirmed in Genesis 22. You see, Paul is referring to justified in terms of the basis of our justification. James is talking about the fruit or the confirmation of our justification. In other words, they're using justification in different ways. Paul makes it very clear that Abraham's works were not meritorious. In other words, they, 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 were, not, they, did not merit, they, they were not the source of the merit of his salvation. James, however, says, though they were not a merit of his salvation, they are a proof of his salvation. Again, back to James. He says, Abraham, our father, was justified by works. In other words, his faith was confirmed by his works when he offered up his son Isaac in the altar. In verse 22, he says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. In other words, he's saying his justification was justified and validated by his works, by his obedience to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. And so when we read verse 24, which sounds like a direct contradiction to Paul, we now understand what James is saying when he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In other words, he's saying that our faith is confirmed by our works and not just by a mere profession nor intellectual assent. Only the merit of Christ avails for justification, to be declared righteous. And just as Paul showed that trusting in him, or trusting in one's works is deadly, so James teaches that resting on an empty or dead faith is equally deadly. See, he uses Abraham as an exhibit. See, when Abraham offered up Isaac his son, his, justi- his justification was justified. It was validated. It was confirmed. And it goes back to his argument in verse 18. We show our faith by our works. But he gives another exhibit. He throws in, almost seems like uh, as, a, 
as an afterthought, well, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Joshua chapter 2, most of us know this story. The spies come in. She hides. By the way, for those of us on Wednesday night, here's another one of those things that we talked about. She said she hid them, and when the, the, the townspeople said, hey, we know men have come in. Where are they? And what would she say? Uh, they, they already left. They went that way, I think. What did she do? She lied. But her faith was validated. It was justified by her works. She wasn't saved by her works. Because what did, what did, the, what did the men say? She, by the way, she said, uh, I want you to be, I'll be faithful to you. You be faithful to me. And they said, okay, here's what you must you have to do. You put a, a red scarlet bow on your door. Where do you think they came up with that idea? <laughs> the blood, Passover, that they had just experienced. And how do we know that Rahab, when she put that scarlet thing on her door, how do we know she had true saving faith? Because it was confirmed by letting the spies go. This was a story they all would have known. Was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And then James concludes it by restating his main theme, and that is for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. True faith, James says, will be accompanied by the evidences of an gracious inward transformation that manifests itself in, a, in, in, in different actions, different lifestyle, different values. And here's the danger, and we talked about this when we went through this, this, uh, you know, the, the, this short series on sanctification. Here's what, unfortunately, what people do is they try to front load faith with works. We understand that faith is con- true faith is confirmed by fruit. So what we want to do is we want to front load and, and include fruit in our, in our gospel. We, want to, we, we confuse and we conflate justification with sanctification. Works are not a necessary precondition for salvation. We have to be clear on that. What did Paul say or Peter say to the Philippian jailer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then some people say, well, wait a minute, it's not just belief, it's, be- it's belief and, and work. So I've got to talk to him about, now, you know, you've got, you, you got to show, you've got to prove it now. No, we preach the gospel. James is saying, you will know if that was true faith by what? If you start seeing fruit. But we make a huge mistake by saying we're going to include fruit, a demand for fruit, up front. Works are, are, are not a necessary precondition for faith. But they are a mere result of true faith. We cannot confuse the root with the fruit or the fruit with the root. Unless we believe in the Lord Jesus by faith alone, we cannot and we will not be justified before God. 
And unless our faith is that kind of faith that produces holy living, it has no more reality to it than a dead body has to a living man. Uh, let me wrap up this way. And, and, I, and I don't say this in terms of guilt manipulation because Lord knows, I, I, you know, I got for one finger this way, I got four coming back. If charges were filed against you and I, you and me, if someone were to, to, to file former, formal charges for, ha- for having placed our faith in Christ, in other words, they charge us, we're going to charge you with having placed your faith and tr- trust in Christ. What evidence would the prosecution use to prove their case? Think about that for a minute. If they were to charge you, if, if, if at some point the state charges you as one who has had believed in Jesus, what evidence would they be able to put forth to prove that case? Um, it's not about just going, out, okay, I need to go do more things to prove it. Has there been an inward change in your life? Do you see things differently? Do you think differently? Does your sense of ethics ethics and morality, has that changed? What about holiness? Is there there growth in holiness in your life? And, and, And... Again, this is this is a process. It's a, it will never be perfect until that time that we're with Christ in heaven. But if you look back over over the last five years, how is your life different now? Spiritually different than it was five years ago or ten years ago. See, that's what James is saying. He's not saying we're saved by faith and works. We're, we're not justified by faith and works in the sense that that's the the merit or the ground of our salvation. But he's saying, you know what? If you are truly justified, that true justification will result itself in an internal gracious transformation that will reveal and confirm your profession. And this is what I tell people. I can't, I can't, I don't know a human heart. I can never say, well, that's not true. There are times when I can pretty much say, they don't know the Lord. Um, but I, I don't know I don't know the heart. But here's here's what I say to people that is unless you can, without any reasonable doubt, say here's the here's the confirmatory evidence for my faith. Even though others may not categorically say you're not saved, why would why would why would there be any doubt? Uh, and, I, and I say this all the time, one of the, one of the best gifts I can give to my family and to my friends and my loved ones is that when I die, they don't have to wonder where I am. Are they really in heaven? Or if you're at work, and at some point you talk about Jesus and they go, boy, I, didn't re- I, didn't, I never knew you were a Christian. Don't want to hear that. <laughs> I wouldn't want to hear that. I didn't know that you I didn't know you were a follower of Jesus. I think that's what James is getting at. And we need to do some some real soul searching. Not legalistic, not okay, God, you know, I haven't 
I haven't given any money to the panhandler in a long time. Maybe I should step it up to prove I'm saved. No, it's not that. Is there any internal transformation of your life? Is there any objective evidence of a changed life that people can look at and see and say their faith is validated, is justified by their works? Let's pray. Father, these are difficult things. These are difficult nuances. And um, and I know that it seems like, uh, like Paul and James are slicing it awfully thin. Um, but Father, if, if we're going to err, we always err. Um, we, 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 well, we don't want to err. That, that, that works are never meritorious to save us. And yet when we are saved, works are a necessary and an inevitable result of what saved us. And so, God, I pray that we would be able to clearly delineate and clearly cut through all of the confusion and um, that we see, excuse me, in our in our Christian world today seems in this doctrine of justification. We are saved by faith alone, but it's not a faith that is alone. Help us to clearly understand the distinctions that when we share the gospel with someone, we do not in any way communicate to them that they have to do anything other than faith alone to, to be saved. And yet, we will know if that faith was real, if we, whether we see any subsequent change or fruit in their lives. Father, help us keep clear the difference between our ministry of evangelism and our ministry of discipleship. We can't disciple someone who's not a, a believer yet. And yet at the same time, Father, I know that in many, many churches there are people that are sitting in the pews and sitting in chairs who have made a mere profession of faith who intellectually believe all the right things and can even proclaim God is one and yet have never been changed by the power of the gospel, by faith alone. Father, thank you for your word. May we continue to uphold it. May we continue to to never compromise on on this doctrine. It is... It is... Uh, the difference between heaven and hell. We thank you for the clarity. Even though it's difficult, we thank you for the clarity that you've given us over this doctrine throughout your word that we might know for certain that we have eternal life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands?